Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. It was great hearing you sing that song, Frank, after baptizing your family. That was great. That was a special, special blessing. Today, I want us to ask the question, when is God pleased with me? That's, that's a very serious question. And when I learn to answer that question and I answer it and live by the answer, then it totally changes things in my life. In fact, real worship, true worship, is living a life that is pleasing to holy God. That's real worship. Now, at Gateway, we have always had the main purposes for our church is to worship God, to share Jesus, to bring into the family those who respond, and baptism is one of the ways we bring people into the family of God, and and then to disciple individuals who uh, accept Christ in their lives, and then prepare them for ministry. In other words, to help them to discover their spiritual gift and how God wants to use that spiritual giftedness in their workplace, uh, at school, wherever they are, and and what ministry is God calling you to be a part of? Because every believer has a ministry. And if, so the reality is, it's, it's all about making disciples. And that's truly why we exist. And if I am not making, a, making disciples, then I'm not pleasing God. And this is something that God has given to every single one of us. Jesus made that clear. Now, I want you to um, look at some verses in Scripture. We're, we're going to go through several verses in different books of the Bible. And so as we follow through this, begin to ask yourself, <clears throat> when is God pleased with me? Let's start in Revelation chapter four, verse 11. We're gonna look at the last part of that verse. It says, you are worthy. You are worthy, O Lord, our God. You're worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And here it is. And they exist because you created what you pleased. So everything that exists was created by God. And he created what he pleased. That's the way things, that's why things are the way they are. It's because that's what he chose. And he's pleased with what he has done. And you and I are the highlight of his creation. We're the only part of his creation that was stamped with his image. So that makes us different from any other part of creation. And so he wants to be pleased with us. And so why did God create? Well, it's simple. It pleased him. There are places out in the universe that we only know of their existence because of the Hubble telescope. And we would think you know, I think we fall into this a delusion that we think God created all the universe for, for us. <clears throat> he created it 
for himself, and it brings him glory. And so it really is all about him. But, but I want to tell you, scientists are going to have to rewrite some science books. They're always having to do that because of the next discovery that's made. A year and a half ago, December of 2021, they launched the James Webb Telescope, about 100 times more powerful than the Hubble Telescope. And it has already discovered six massive galaxies that we didn't know exist. And based on what they're learning from those six galaxies, some of the top physicists are already saying, well, this pretty much disproves the Big Bang Theory. How about that? I mean, even though it has the word theory in its name, people talk about the Big Bang as an absolute. But now another rock has been overturned And underneath that rock, we say, hmm, maybe the Big Bang is not how God created. Maybe that's not how things came into existence. And we're always learning things that we didn't know even exist, and it rewrites the story. And when Jesus returns, that's when the story is complete. And everybody will know. You know, the moment Jesus comes back, every human being will know that God was right, that the Bible was right. God created because it pleased him. Psalms 149, verse 4 says, For the Lord delights, that means takes pleasure, the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Last week, we talked about having the same attitude as Jesus, and Jesus had a a humble attitude. He humbled himself. Even though he had all these rights, he set aside his rights as God, and he humbled himself to become a man. And that pleased the Father. So how much more so does it please him when we humble ourselves? I mean, that he takes delight in that. It pleases him when we humble ourselves. You know, marriages that really work are marriages where each the husband and wife learn how to humble themselves with each other, not demand their own rights. Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Well, let's see. He created me. That was a biggie. He gave me a purpose and a reason to exist. Before he created me, he already had a plan for me, so that's a biggie. And when I die, I'm going to go and spend eternity with him if I'm a believer Well, that's about as big as it gets. In fact, it is as big as it gets. So just in those areas alone, I should thank God for all that he's done for me. You gave me life. You gave me purpose. You gave me meaning. And one day, you're going to give me a home with you. Guaranteed. 
I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice that he will find acceptable. So in other words, he gets to decide. He gets to set the rules. He gets to decide the standard. You don't make that decision. So I I give myself to God. I am to live in such a way that he finds acceptable. And how do I know what he finds acceptable? Well, from his holy word, what he says in scripture. And that's why we're studying this today. These are the things that please God. And what pleases him, he finds acceptable. And when I adjust my life to his pleasure, it changes everything. It changes everything. In Genesis, we're going to delve a little bit into the life of Noah. In Genesis 6, 8, it says, but Noah found favor with God. Now, not because Noah was perfect, but Noah had a heart for God. Noah was not spared from the flood because of his good works. His good works that he did were because of what he chose to focus on or who he chose to focus on. He chose to focus on God and therefore his life became a life of good works and so that was a consequence of a decision to focus on God. And so God makes it clear that Noah was a man who believed in God as the creator. He believed in God as being sovereign And he believed that God gets to set the rules and he believed that God was the only savior for our sins. And so Noah found grace for himself and his family because he humbled himself, just like we're told. And he humbled himself and he was obedient. He was obedient. So the first point We give God pleasure when we love him above everything else. That gives God pleasure. When we love him above everything else. In Hosea 6, 6, it says, I want want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. See, back in Jesus' day, the religious guys, they knew how to play the part. They had it down pat. They had all their rituals and their sacrifices, and they kept the law to the letter, and they were all about that. And Jesus said, God's not pleased with that. When you guys come to church and you give your big bags of money from your leftovers and you make a big production about it, Let me tell you who God's pleased with. He's pleased with this very poor widow who gives everything to God. God's not pleased with you religious guys who pray all these flowing prayers in front of everybody and impressing everybody with your knowledge of Scripture. He's pleased with this tax collector who humbly kneels over here on the side, not for show, and says, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. That's who God was pleased with. You see, the world's standards is very different from God's standards. And 
His is the one that matters. Jesus gave us two great commandments. He says, love God with everything and love others. And I don't love others correctly until I give everything to God. God says, I want you to know me. I really want you to know me. And that pleases me when you want that as well. In Genesis 6, 9, continuing with Noah, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless, not sinless. God counted him as righteous because he accepted God for who God was, just like you are declared righteous, but you're not sinless. You're righteous because of Jesus' death on the cross, and you've accepted that. So God declared Noah as, as righteous, and um, he walked in a close fellowship with God. A close fellowship, not rituals. He didn't walk in rituals. He walked in fellowship. You could even say friendship. He loved talking to God, and God loved talking back to him. He loved God because God loved him. He understood who God was and he believed that and he accepted that and God declared him righteous. Now, here's something important to remember. He did this when the entire earth was corrupt. You think about this. All the people that lived at that time, only Noah was considered a righteous man. The only one. And with all that corruption going on and all that rebellion and all that wickedness, well, this is going to become more and more necessary for us in our society today. As our society becomes more and more perverse and wicked in God's eyes, and if you want to argue with me about that one, let's sit down and talk. As the world, as our society becomes more and more perverse and wicked in God's eyes, we must work more diligently to walk in purity. Don't flirt with the world. It'll bite you every time. If God did a hard search in your heart today, what would he find? Would he find someone who's humble and desperately wants to know him? Or would he find someone who just plays the game? Matthew chapter 24, this is what Jesus had to say. It says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. It's going to be that corrupt. And surely we're not far from that kind of corruption. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings. There's nothing wrong with banquets. There's nothing wrong with parties. There's nothing wrong with weddings. But here's what the point is. 
They spend all their time taking care of themselves, doing what they enjoyed, what pleased them, and mocked God's name. They went after what pleased them, what satisfied them. He says they were doing all these things right up until the time Noah entered his boat. It took him over 100 years to build that boat. In fact, he became the form of entertainment. I mean, nobody had ever done anything like this. Building a boat in the middle of nowhere and this massive, I mean, this was a massive undertaking. And while Noah was building, he would preach and he would declare God's judgment that was coming. And when he would use phrases like, there's going to be a flood, they're like, well, what's a flood? Well, it's going to rain. Well, what's rain? It had never done that before. He said, people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. People will not realize who Jesus really is until death sweeps them away and it's too late. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. The world will be partying and celebrating itself. And then they'll be swept away with the coming of Jesus. Ephesians 1.5, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, when I love God above everything else, the best way I can do that is by giving my life to Jesus, like these three young people who gave their heart to Jesus. That's pleasing, that's pleasing God the best way you can, that you gave your heart to Jesus. And God decided in advance, I'm gonna adopt you as my family if you come to me through Jesus, my son, and this gives me great pleasure. And every time someone prays to receive Christ, there's like a party in heaven. God's excited because a person has agreed that they needed a savior and they accept this gift, this massive gift of the sacrifice that God made through his son, Jesus. And when you accept that, that pleases the heart of God like you cannot begin to imagine. So when you love God above everything else, the way you show that is by giving your heart to Jesus. The second way we give God pleasure is when we trust him completely. Psalms 147. He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or, of, or human might. No, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him and those who put their hope 
in his unfailing love. Your strength, your wisdom is insufficient. And when you choose to fear God, which means you reverence God, you are humble before God, you're in awe of God, you're in submission of God, you take God serious, that's being fearful of God that you take him serious. And so when you put your hope in him, that brings pleasure to him. And when you trust him completely with your life and your problems and your family and your job and your school, everything, that pleases God. That's why the Bible says pray about everything. God says, you wanna please me? then talk to me about everything in your life. Talk about the things that are going well. Talk about the things that aren't going well. Talk about your struggles. Tell me what you're celebrating. Tell me what, where you're hurting. That pleases me when you talk to me. Hebrews 11, 7 <clears throat> It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, which pleased God, who warned him about things, and get this, that had never happened before. A rain, rain had never happened before up until this point. A flood had never happened before. There was a mist, there was a covering, a mist covering that would water the earth. There was underground, uh, vast water reserves underground because the Bible talks about, if you go back and read the flood account, <clears throat> you read where the water comes down from the sky, which had never happened before in terms of rain, and the great reservoir of water underneath the ground burst open. So it was raining up and down. And that's why it could flood the earth as quickly as it did. None of that had ever happened before. By faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. And here again, for that hundred plus years, he was preaching, trying to save people, telling them the truth. And after God put Noah's family in the ark and after God shut the door, and when God shuts the door, it's not coming back open until he opens it. And once the rain came and the flood came, it was too late. So Jesus said, it's gonna be like the days of Noah. And when I pour out my spirit on the earth like rain, it'll be too late. Psalms 50, it says, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep your vows you made to the Most High. I was meeting with a friend of mine who has a job in the upstate. I did his wedding many years ago. And he's uh, been having some issues. Um, and he was struggling with, you know, forgiving his wife. And so as we sat and we talked through things and talked about it, I just 
got out my phone and I scrolled down. I found what I was looking for. I clicked open a file and I said, hey, I want you to read this. And he started reading it. And then all of a sudden he said, oh, these are my wedding vows. I said, yeah. He said, you keep everybody's wedding vows on your phone? I said, only the people I love. <laughs> That's why I have yours on my phone. I said, read it. I want you to read everything that you said that day. I want you to read the things that you said to God, the promises you made to him, and I want you to read the promises you made to your wife. It got real quiet for a while. So when you said to Jesus, I want you to be my savior, I want you to be my Lord, how are you doing with that valve, that vow that you made? It pleases God when you keep your commitment to him. We give pleasure to God, number three, when we obey him wholeheartedly, it pleases him. When we obey him wholeheartedly. You see, Noah did exactly what God told him to do. Well, let's, let's go back to James for a second. James chapter two. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. So when I say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I back it up with my actions. My actions cannot save me. They just prove the decision that was made. I can't say that I believe and trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior and then treat my wife like dirt. I cannot say I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but then never share Jesus with anybody else. I cannot do that. It'd be a lie. So we prove our salvation. Don't earn it. We don't earn it, but we prove it by what we do. Now, let's read Hebrews eleven seven again. I want to read this again. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who had warned him about things that had never happened before. If, Jesus, if, if Noah had not obeyed God, that'd have been it. That'd have been the end of humanity. And he obeyed God precisely. Uh, Genesis chapter six, verse 22. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. He built the ark to the exact dimensions with the exact wood that God told him to use, use the right, the exact material God told him to use to seal the wood. He built it to God's specifications. Otherwise, it would have floundered. It would have sunk. It would have been insufficient to save him. You know, we want God to bless us, but we want to pick and choose what we do that God tells us to do. You know, you're, 
Your walk with Jesus is not a cafeteria where you walk along the food line and just pick what you want. Well, God, I'm going to build the boat this way. And I'd like to have some other features on this. I'm going to do this. and I'm going to do that. Noah said, no, I'm going to build it exactly like you said to build it. I'm going to live my life exactly how you told me to live my life. It does not please God when you pick and choose what you want to do that the Bible teaches you. You do the things that are convenient. Because I want to tell you, there's a lot of things that the Bible tells me to do and tells you to do that's hard. It's not easy. It's a challenge. But God says, I'll give you everything you need to do it. Whenever I ask you to do something, you, you have a guarantee that I've already given you everything you need to do it. Psalms 119 says, teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. What a, what a bold, gracious, uh, a great prayer to pray. Lord, teach me what the Bible says. Show me what the Bible says. And I want to keep it to the end of my days. Here's the attitude. Every time you read scripture, you should ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, just as you, you know, Spirit, just as you inspired men to write these words, I pray that you'll show me what they mean and how to apply it to my life. So let me talk about the difference between religion and a Christ-filled life. Religion is, I read my Bible 30 minutes today. I checked it off. I read my Bible every day for 30 minutes. As soon as I hit that 30 minute mark, I'm done. What if you're in the middle of something God wants to teach you big time? He'll have to do it tomorrow. Really? <laughs> what if God wants you to spend all day just marinating yourself in a particular verse? What if God shows up at 31 minutes? but you're already gone. God's not impressed with your self-discipline about stuff like that. But when you humbly come before him and you say, God, teach me what you want me to know from your words. And as you read the words, the Holy Spirit will grip your heart. He'll say, this is what I want you to know. And then you spend whatever time it takes Letting God seep that deep into your soul. God's not impressed with your rituals. He's not impressed with your quiet time rituals. But it pleases him when you humble yourself before him and you seek to obey him wholeheartedly in what he shows you. Romans 8, 8. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature, their natural inclinations, can never please God. You could read the Bible an hour a day, 
But if the rest of your life is spent doing what pleases you and your sinful nature is in control, the Bible's pretty clear right here where it says you never please God. The last one. We give God pleasure when we fulfill his purpose. Genesis 9-1, back to Noah. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, After this is after the flood. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I don't know about you, but I think they did their job. <laughs> All the people on the planet right now are on this planet because those three men and those three wives did what God told them to do. There's not a person on this planet whose, whose um, bloodline cannot, whose bloodline does not go back all the way to Noah. Every one of our family trees are traced back to Noah. Everyone. We're all related back to Noah. You ever thought about that? Every single person on this planet goes back to Noah. And Noah and his three sons and their wives obeyed God, and that's why we're here. Hmm. Pretty effective, wouldn't you say? <clears throat> Verse, uh, Psalms 37 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Oh, just think of the implication of this verse. He is pleased when you follow his direction. He's pleased with that. Uh, I want to I just share one last verse, John three nineteen. And the judgment is based on this fact. This is Jesus talking. God's light... And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So he's talking about, Jesus talking about himself here. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. So don't be shocked at what's happening in our culture today. Don't be shocked. People love the darkness. You know, the reason why people love the darkness is because they just, they don't like to be told what to do. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, Eve was basically like, don't tell me I can't eat from that fruit. Could it be that Satan tempted Eve to do what she already wanted to do? My guess is a lot of the temptations that Satan throws your way are temptations you already want to do. I mean, as big as the Garden of Eden was, the question I always had, why was Eve standing by the tree to begin with? Because based on the way the scripture written, it seems like maybe she was already standing there. I don't know. And, and Adam was there with her. <laughs> they were already there to be tempted. I don't know. I, I just think a lot of times you and I kind of bent towards our selfishness. 
Well, I want you to make a decision that you want to please God, to come and to know him, to join in him in reaching your friends for Christ, to join in him with divine appointments that he wants to set for you and has already set for you. I was talking to a friend, then we'll close in prayer. And he was taking a job at another place. And I asked him a question. I said, would you be okay if the only reason that God opened up that opportunity for that job is because there's a person there that needs to hear about Jesus and he wants to use you to reach that person for Jesus? Would you be okay with that, that that's the only reason? Would you be okay with that? Because everything else you do at that job will not last. But that one person that opens their heart to Jesus, that's for eternity. Would you be okay if God sent you to a school just for the purpose of influencing somebody with the gospel? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, at the end of your life, that education doesn't matter. But your salvation does. And any person you influence with the gospel, that's what matters. That pleases God. I'll be here at the front. You come. For whatever reason we've talked about, you come. Let's stand together.